So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Canadaland Commons is brought to you by our exclusive sponsor, Wealth Simple. If you are a listener of this podcast, you can get your first $10,000 managed for free for two years just by visiting wealthsimple.com slash commons. Go check it out. Take a look. Even if you have 20 bucks to put away, it's a start. I'm Ashley Chinati. I'm Hadia Rodrigue. And I'm Ryan McMahon. On this episode, are liberals trying to ram through whatever the fuck they want? Is Saskatchewan angling to become the Florida of Canada with the new Stand Your Ground laws? And has newly minted Alberta conservative leader Jason Kenney been outed on social media? We totally understand what constitutionally notwithstanding means. From Canada Land, this is Commons. The House of Commons was scheduled to hear the finance minister deliver his budget, as tradition holds, shortly after 4 p.m. Instead, an uprising from an opposition angry over a Liberal plan to ram through changes to the way Parliament works. The Liberals in this committee are just going to ram through whatever the fuck they want. Exactly. We now find out that the Liberals want to shut down this House for and, and only have it open four days a week. Canadians have to work five days a week. The Liberals should as well. And I know that conversation is starting. All we are asking is let's have a constructive conversation to really modernize the way this place works. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Okay, so I'm going to try and get you guys all riled up about how our House of Commons works. It it sounds like the most boring subject on the planet, but it's actually super important, and everybody should be pretty pissed off at the Liberals right now. I I was going to go to the bathroom for this one, but it sounds sounds juicy. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So basically, there's a set of rules called standing orders that govern how the House of Commons works. Every parliament has these. The Liberals have tabled a discussion paper about a bunch of changes they want to make. Most of the changes are actually pretty reasonable. Reasonable. But the problem is the fact that the Liberals have tried to set a deadline saying the opposition has to agree to this or not by June 2nd, when since 1867, when our first parliament met, changes to the standing orders have always been done unanimously. And basically, the Liberals are taking a page out of the Stephen Harper playbook and trying to ram through changes to how our House of Commons works in the same way the Conservatives did with electoral reform without getting consent from all the parties. And it's just not how it's done. If this is a page out of the conservative playbook, 
Why are they so up in arms about this when they basically set the precedent? Well, I guess when you're in opposition, you always like to oppose. And when you're in government, you start to take the tactics on that you've opposed the last time. This is exactly what we're seeing. We see this every time. But what's really interesting about these changes is a lot of them are actually fairly innocuous and are the kind of thing that should maybe happen. For example, the Conservatives have really latched on to this idea of getting rid of Friday sittings. But Friday sittings really accomplish nothing. Committees don't sit. It would actually make a lot of sense to redistribute those hours throughout the rest of the week. They do this in Ontario. Uh, Most parliaments around the world actually don't tend to sit five days a week, or if they do, it's like every other Friday. So giving members more time to travel back to their constituencies isn't like we're giving them a three-day weekend. And I think we tend to underestimate how much work politicians actually do in their ridings in between. And I think that the Conservatives and the NDP have sort of latched onto this idea that the Liberals don't want to work as hard. And I think that's actually the stupidest argument they could make. And I think there are actually a lot of reasonable changes here. But the Liberals are being unreasonable in how they want to go about making these changes. Do you think that the procedure is driving a lot of the resistance? If they hadn't sort of tried to ram them through, everybody would have been okay with these changes? So in other parliaments, they've done this before where they're like, let's reform our standing orders. And they all sort of said, let's sit down and rework our schedule. Uh, Queen's Park did it almost 10 years ago now. Other parliaments do. And usually it's everyone sits down, a committee says, you know, let's make these changes to how we work to to get rid of things that are slowing down the process to make our time here more effective. But some of the changes that the Liberals are trying to make are actually trying to silence opposition or speed through the passage of legislation. And that's where it becomes a problem because Parliament's job isn't to pass whatever the government wants them to. It's to study it and to weigh the legislation. And the framing of this discussion paper is really to make it easier for the government to pass its bills. For example, limiting how long members can speak in committee. Right now they can speak as long as they want so they can filibuster things, which is actually what's going on right now in the House and Parliamentary Procedures Committee that's supposed to be considering a motion to force these changes. Like, I I feel like I'm going down a rabbit hole now because it gets really complicated. But basically, they're trying to cut back on the ability of opposition parties to filibuster. And that's a really big deal. And people should be upset about that. Is the, the idea to give Friday off to members so that they can travel home. Did this come from like poor attendance because people are taking Friday off anyway? Is this a shift in parliamentary procedure or is this just kind of a tinkering of old arcane rules? So it's a little bit of all of it. So at Queen's Park, for example, they only sit Monday to Thursday, but they sit a little bit longer every day. And then members have an ability to go home on Fridays. Right now, there really isn't great attendance on Fridays. Members who live in further ridings will work it out sort of with their house leader. And they tend not to do what's called house duty on Fridays. It tends to be MPs who are in the sort of Ontario area who get stuck doing Friday house duty. And then they never even have any important votes on Fridays. They always get put over to to Mondays on what's called recorded division. So really right now, Fridays are a couple hours of busy work and a question period that could be better allocated. Like the fact that they're focusing on this idea of your liberal government wants a four-day work week is actually not the issue. Like a lot of the changes in there could be great for how the House of Commons works, but everybody needs to agree on them. And the fact the liberals are trying to sort of ram this through on such a tight timeline when there's no need to it isn't necessary. And it recalls last year with like motion six when they tried to 
program a bunch of bills and everyone got pissed off and then the elbow gate thing happened. It was a very similar kind of move. And again, it's for a government that says it wants to be happy and open in sunny ways. That is not how they're treating the House of Commons. And it's just a huge breach of parliamentary tradition to try and do this without everybody agreeing. So maybe a sense of foreboding about if they're willing to ram through this, what sort of rules are they willing to attack next? Yeah. Or, you know, abandon electoral reform. Like there's a lot of things here that you can be really cynical about. But I will say when you read through the whole discussion paper, there's a lot of stuff that is kind of a great idea or just kind of funny. So one of the things they want to bring back is the a ceremony when you prorogue. It's something British Parliament does. So if you look up like prorogation ceremony, there's like BBC Live videos and like we're going to take you back to the house where we're going to the prorogation ceremony live. And it's basically to help people better understand that prorogation isn't this nefarious thing, but it's actually a natural reset of the parliamentary process that has been abused and now people don't really understand it. And I think that's what's so fortunate about this whole debate is people don't understand how the House of Commons works, how Parliament works. I don't even know what prorogation is. (laughs) I have to go to the bathroom. I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) But there's just so much misinformation about how our our Parliament works. And I, I think the opposition are opposing this rightly. But I think at the same time, they're starting to fuel some of that misinformation as well with the way that they're framing it about, you know, having a prime minister's question period being a bad thing or focusing on this four day work week when everybody in that house knows if you have an extra day in your riding, you're not going home and like kicking up your feet. You're going home and you're going to some hockey charity event or you're cutting some ribbon somewhere or you're glad handing at some you know, cultural event. Well, I'm, I, I think a four-day work week is cool as long as we still get the occasional viral video from CPAC where people are screaming and throwing papers and all of that. Canada and Commons is brought to you by our exclusive sponsor, Wealth Simple. All right, so it's the start of the new month. And when I was looking at my statement at the end of the last month, I was shocked, as I always am, at all the fees I pay to my bank, whether it's my checking account fees or my fees for my savings account, or sometimes even more than the interest I get back. I always suspected I was getting fleeced by the big banks. And now a CBC investigation has shown just that. The big banks are upselling you on products you don't need, which is eating into the money you could be making on your investments. That means less money in your account, less money saved for your future. You know who doesn't charge hidden fees? Wealth Simple. You know who doesn't try to upsell you to a product that you don't really need and won't help you earn money? Wealth Simple. Wealth Simple is just an online investment management tool that intends to make things easier and clearer and simpler for you. It's a great way to start saving for your future today with the peace of mind that you're in control and you know exactly how your money is being invested. You can choose how risky you want to be, and you can even choose to invest in socially responsible companies and have an entirely socially responsible portfolio. It's pretty neat. And if you're a Canada Land Commons listener, you don't have to pay any fees at all on your first $10,000 of investment for two years. All you have to do is visit wealthsimple.com slash commons. It's so easy to start. The website looks great. And even if you don't really understand the world of investing, Wealth Simple makes it simple and easy to understand where your money is going. And even if you only have 20 bucks to start investing today, it's worth starting now so you can live large later. Check out wealthsimple.com slash commons. 
So time for our Is This a Thing segment, which I'm very much enjoying. I hope that you all are. Brad Trost not being on board with the gays, in his words. Is this a thing? I mean, I'd love to say it's not a thing because like who can name Brad Trost who's not like a political insider in this country? Not many people. But maybe that's the whole point of what he was trying to do here, which makes me want to say it's not a thing because I don't want to give it airtime. But I am not okay with people who are not okay with the whole gay thing. Well, and you know what? I had to Google Brad Trost for the segment. So I don't even know if Brad Trost is a thing. But also anybody that says the gays is not a thing. So this for me, not a thing. I'm down with the gays. We should have an island for people that are not down with the gays and just put them all there so they can live without the gays. Recently, we had some Ottawa cops who stood in solidarity with a fellow officer who was charged with manslaughter and made a United We Stand bracelet with his, I believe, his badge number. I just feel like the slacktivism bracelets are so last decade. Like, who even does that anymore? Like, it's lived strong before we knew for sure that Lance Armstrong was doping the shit out of himself. <laughs> it just shows exactly, like, how with the times these officers are. I'm going to take off my Live Strong bracelet and uh, answer this. <laughs> <laughs> say that uh, this definitely is a thing and here's why because also on the heels of this story coming out we saw some private facebook posts get leaked and the cops are livid with the person that leaked this information out to the media they are hunting down the person that leaked this information so this is a thing and this kind of shows that weird disgusting brotherhood uh, that unspoken brotherhood that is inside of this place it's a thing and it's frightening don't they have better things to do like i don't know solve crimes rather than hunt down <laughs> some sort of person who <laughs> happened to leak a thing that they're actually doing are we really going to leave all the crimes up to batman like go to work <laughs> batman's tired kelly leach spoke at an anti-mosque event seemingly aligning herself with Ron Banerjee. So Kelly Leach says that she was for the anti-mosque event before she was against it. Like she basically says she didn't know what it was when she showed up, which is ridiculous. She clearly wanted, as she's been trying to do this entire campaign, have it both ways. She wants to suck and blow at the same time. She wants to say she's like, oh, no, I love immigrants, but we're going to get rid of the immigrants. And like, <laughs> oh, no, I don't hate Muslim people. I just hate mosques and, and motion M103. Yeah. Like she keeps trying to have it both ways on this. It's driving me nuts. So, of course, it's a thing because we need to keep calling out politicians who want to say one thing about racism and issues of that nature in this country and then do a complete opposite and then be like oops yes it's (laughs) it's definitely a thing and at this point in this leadership race i don't know how she thinks we're not seeing who she is we're paying attention barely but it's definitely a thing, and I'm tired of her name. And there's only a couple weeks left, so oh my God, let's hang like in there. a month and a bit left. Oh, it's is, not oh. till May 27th, dude. We have oh. so long left. I yeah, have to go to the bathroom like again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, now we've got uh, Senator Lynn Bayek, who won't step down from the indigenous committee after saying some really bullshit stupid things about residential schools to me this is definitely a thing we're not asking you to resign senator but you know maybe you should have more information about the committees you actually sit on and actually know what the truth is i'd be okay if she resigned (laughs) 
I'm asking you to resign, <laughs> Senator Bayek. It's obscene. You know, as I said a couple weeks ago on the show, she is from Treaty 3 in northwestern Ontario, lives in Dryden, Ontario, and she pulled out the, I double dated with an Aboriginal when I was 15. She pulled <laughs> I that have a black out. friend. <laughs> But was un- what was unclear was whether she dated the Aboriginal guy or if the Aboriginal guy was dating someone else and they were on a double date. She was t- grasping at so many straws and just was totally full of shit. And she ended up saying, you know what I want to ask residential school survivors? Where all the money is gone. And she actually made it worse for herself this week by saying that she wanted a full, transparent audit of all First Nations in Canada. So not only is she like re-triggering all of these residential school survivors, she's now asking them to perform an audit on all of the First Nations across Canada. It's It's a a thing. thing. It's a thing. Sadly, it's definitely a thing. Keep your mouth shut so it's not a thing. Yeah. (laughs) She should talk long enough to reside and then stop talking. (laughs) Kevin O'Leary, unclear about the constitutional notwithstanding clause and really unclear about how... Our democracy and our government seems to work generally. That's a thing. I picture Kevin O'Leary in uh, some kind of high rise. Does he live in Boston? Where does he live? Yeah, he lives in Boston. Yeah. In some like poshy high rise office space. And he just has his minions Googling Canada constitution. How does it work? (laughs) And he gets some briefing notes before he has to call into a radio show here in Canada. And he does his best to fake it. Kevin O'Leary, man, this is a thing. And it's hilarious. It's hilarious because he's leading in the polls without understanding how Canada works. So if he wins, I, for one, look forward to the long reign of glorious leader Justin Trudeau because we will not have another prime minister for a long, long time. It boggles my mind that people want someone with no experience in the thing that they're running to do. Who doesn't even live here. In charge, who doesn't even live here. I don't know. Maybe I should start running for all sorts of random shit that I'm unqualified for. This is this is the problem with telling uh, straight white men that they can be the change they want to see in the world because some of those dudes believe it. And then some of those dudes become rich and powerful. And then some of those dudes end up running for the conservative leadership race. So I blame his parents. Kevin, you can be the change you want to see in the world. And he grew up <laughs> believing it. And God damn it, he's going to do it. It's a thing. During Wednesday's 90-minute-long Q&A between rural leaders and provincial ministers, the issue of crime didn't come up. However, SARM delegate Paul Ribka says that's not an indication of its importance. The crime is increasing so much all over Saskatchewan, all over the country. Something has to be done to stop it. He was part of a wide majority who supported a resolution Tuesday for SARM to lobby Ottawa on expanding rights to self-defense. The resolution passes less than a year after 22-year-old Colton Bushy was shot and killed at a farm near Bigger. We are going to circle back on a story that has been covered by Canada Land and is not receiving a lot of attention in Canada generally, and it's the case of Colton Bushy. Now, Colton Bushy is a young Cree youth that was out with a bunch of friends swimming on a, on a summer's night and uh, on their way home ran into some car trouble and uh, got a flat tire. Pulled into a farmer's uh, property and Gerald Stanley saw 
this group of, of young friends that pulled into his road on his property to stop to ask, ask for help, allegedly shot and killed Colton Bushy. And the case, which is now before a preliminary uh, hearing at the North Battleford Provincial Court, is starting to heat up. And what is happening in Saskatchewan around the case and the discussion and the fallout from this murder is fascinating and and scary uh, at the same time. Just uh, last week, the Saskatchewan Association of Rural, Rural Municipalities passed a resolution that calls for an expansion of individuals' rights to defend himself and his property. And the resolution has been compared with uh, the so-called stand-your-ground laws in the United States. And at that meeting of the Saskatchewan Association of Rural Municipalities, the resolution passed with a 93% support to the vote from close to 2,000 delegates in attendance. And the delegates are mostly elected municipal officials. And this all went, went down at a convention last week. So because the crime rates are so high in Saskatchewan, and because and a lot of things go on in, in rural communities that we don't hear a lot about in our big city centers, but apparently this is quite the problem in, in, in rural Saskatchewan. This uh, municipality association wants to try a stand-your-ground law here in Canada. As an Indigenous person, I can tell you uh, unequivocally, this uh, frightens the hell out of me. So what sort of power or authority does this SARM, I'm going to call them, have? Like, they pass these resolutions, and, and then what sort of happens afterwards? There's a procedure. So the re- the actual resolution, I mean, it does have to find its way up a chain of command. It certainly would have to go to the province first and make its way to Ottawa. The good thing is what I'm hearing from the Saskatchewan Justice Minister and the federal public safety minister is that this will never happen, that this law is so far off the radar that uh, it's something that wouldn't even be considered that Goodale is actually quoted as saying, you know, that uh, the approach it suggests fails to produce good results in other jurisdictions and that the policing functions need to be performed by trained professionals that are already in the community. So the RCMP needs to perhaps do a better job. I'm not sure if that's what Goodale was uh, intending to say, but, you know, if you've ever been to a rural part of any province, you know that when you call the RCMP, Depending on how many RCMP are in your community, it could take hours for somebody to show up after an incident. I've, I've worked in communities where we've had to call the RCMP and, you know, depending on where they are on the highway, depending on which community they're in, depending on whether they're already responding to an incident, it can take hours. So I, I could understand the need or the, the impulse to look for an alternative, but clearly we have a policing system that is already tasked to do this work. So as part of the problem, I mean, North Battleford per capita has one of the higher crime rates in the country. For a few years, it's been one of the highest, especially given its size. Is part of the problem here that there isn't enough policing in this area? I can't really tell. Per capita, they say that, that the RCMP rates per capita are in line, that in fact, they, they are sufficient. I mean, they say in the province that crime is down 25% in most of the weighted measures that they weigh in these crime statistics. 
But I do, I do also think that a number of times when the RCMP are involved with indigenous people, I'll speak from my own community's perspective here because it's what I know uh, the most, is that the RCMP are called for basically anything. I have a friend who goes to the University of Saskatchewan who is very, very brown, and uh, he, was, he was cutting across a, a person's property just kind of on the corner of the property, and he was pulled over and asked why he was trespassing and was searched. His backpack was searched and everything. He was detained. He was brought in in Saskatoon for questioning because there had been a couple of bikes that had gone missing that week. Now, this is total busy work for the RCMP to bring somebody in. You are now opening up a file on on this person, and it creates hours and hours of work. I am sort of guessing here, but I think the RCMP are disproportionately busy bothering indigenous people in Saskatchewan. And we know what has gone on with the Starlight Tours in that province. There is an inquest into those. We know about the disproportionate percentages of violence on reserve and off reserve as it pertains to indigenous people. And I just think, I don't know what the fix is. I mean, the impulse is to say, well, more police, but... That doesn't necessarily mean more safety, especially for people of color and and, and indigenous people. So one of the things a lot of these farmer groups that have sprung up to support the farmer accused of shooting Colton Bushier, I guess we know he shot him just supporting his his defense, are saying that this isn't really about race. It's about a spate of robberies that have been on farms and they're all concerned about this. So how do you respond to that? Them being like, hey... This is just about crime on our private property. I I do buy it. I mean, if statistically we're saying that there is a disproportionate amount of uh, theft going on and, and these statistics are backed up by the proof that this is happening, then then for sure. I mean, let's, let's acknowledge that there's a problem. But let's al- also acknowledge the week after Colton Bushy was murdered, it started to come out that there was this um, theft problem in Saskatchewan generally and that this is what these these farmers are are dealing with. That very week, a couple million dollars of farm equipment was found at a white farmer's lot and he had stolen it. So I can tell you unequivocally that there is not millions of dollars of farm equipment on Red Pheasant First Nation. You would be able to see it. <laughs> you know, we don't have we don't have the infrastructure to hide millions of dollars of tractors and uh, whatever else the farmers, I, I'm not even trying to be belligerent, just whatever else farmers drive. If there is a problem with theft, generally, then I have a real hard time believing that this heavy equipment and, and what's alleged to have been stolen is ending up on the res. I just don't see how it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I know on this show, we try to avoid talking about the United States, but but we have to also acknowledge the way the United States is starting to influence much of our policy and our thought here in this country. Well, you're going to end up with the equivalent of a Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman happening here, which is kind of what this is. And as someone who is a person of color, I know it's harder for me to get help or get pe- have people to believe that I need help. So yes, maybe the farmers are having their equipment stolen, but the when you have a couple of white guys show up to your farm versus a couple of indigenous people up to your farm, for some reason you think the indigenous kids are up to no good, but you're going to help and believe the white kids. And I think that's what's so key about this story that I find so fascinating about how it hasn't 
resonated outside of the prairies as a news stories. I mean, these were kids looking for help with car trouble, and one of them ended up dead. We were so wrapped up in the myth of how good we are compared to the states. And the Trayvon Martin thing caused a national discussion. And this is not a story that I think if I went outside of my media bubble, friends, like people I know who are plugged in, if I, if I said the name Colton Bushy, I don't think they would know who that is. But if I said Trayvon Martin, they would. I know the family of Colton Bushy. And I was, uh, you know, I was at his sister Jade's wedding. Colton was there. I met Colton Bushy. And I want to be on the record as saying two things. First of all, this isn't the Colton Bushy case. And this is the way the media frames it. This is the way people that talk about it frame it. The Colton Bushy case. Colton Bushy is dead. He was murdered. He was shot. This is the Gerald Stanley case. This frustrates me so much that a young, dead, native boy is still carrying the burden of this, this case. He's, he's not here. This is the Gerald Stanley case. We need to talk about Gerald Stanley. So much attention is paid to talking about Colton Bushy and what he was doing. What was Gerald Stanley doing that day that set him off immediately to grab a gun? I don't know. But but we haven't dug into that. And the media has not dug into that. And I think that that's an important distinction to make and and one that I haven't heard made uh, too often. I can only hope that justice is served and we see the family of Colton uh, be able to rest easy once justice is served. And um, I think there's a frightening reality in this country that we don't really want to talk about a lot. So typically in journalism in our country, especially political journalism, we tend to shy away from the private lives of politicians, sort of unlike our counterparts to the states where everybody wants to know everything about their business, you know, unless they cross an ethical or a criminal line, Don Meredith, cough, cough. And, you know, during the years of glorious leader Harper, it was a pretty open secret in media circles that a number of prominent appointees were gay. And last Thursday, K.D. Lang openly challenged Jason Kenney's sexual orientation after he made some questionable statements about gay-straight alliances in Alberta schools. He thought that parents should be alerted if their students joined these organizations, which is very tone-deaf to the reality that a lot of students are not out to their parents, that coming out to their parents can be dangerous in many situations, get them kicked out of their homes, etc. And this is supposed to be a place where they can get support. Kenny is one of those people where there's always been rumors swirling around his sexuality because he's overtly religious but is never married, never had children. And it's one of those things where it's sort of an accepted thing that Jason Kenny may or may not be in the closet and we just don't talk about it. And I'm uncomfortable right now just even asking this question because I don't think it's any of our goddamn business. I'm concerned with whether or not someone can be a leader and do their job. There's a sadness here. You know, there's a sadness in the idea that these public people, whether we agree with the work they they do or their vision for this country or not, they do work for this country. They dedicate their lives as public servants. But there's a big piece of their life that is a pain. And to be in the closet and to, to not feel supported or loved in a way that you can't come out publicly, there's there's a sadness there. And so, you know, and the irony of Jason Kenney asking for these young people to be outed is very real, too. I think we need to be super clear that we don't know for sure. And 
what his orientation is. I, I think that that's important. But does the hypocrisy of it with any politician, let's not even make this specific about Jason Kenney, but if there's a overtly anti-LGBTQ politician and they are in the closet and media circles know about it and quite openly know about it amongst themselves, is there a duty to report that hypocrisy? I think that anti-LGBTQ statements in themselves are offensive enough. They don't need the addition of the person being in the closet to like make them worse. They're already bad. Okay, but when you have someone who's in the public eye and trying to manipulate the idea of traditional family values to further their own agenda, if there's no authenticity to that, is that something that we should call out? I I personally, I feel icky about it, but sometimes being icky is part of the media's job. Like one of the worst things you ever have to do as a reporter is the first time you call like a dead kid's parents to try and get comment. But then sometimes that's the important call you need to make because you hear about, say, Colton Bushy as a human being, not just as a headline. And so a lot of what really important reporter work is super, super icky. And the whole issue of outing someone is not something we do in Canadian media. And I think for the best most of the time. But are there exceptions to that? Like, do we hit a point where someone's being such a hypocrite that their followers have a right to know? But I mean, you can still be gay and still be anti-LGBTQ. Like, especially if you're very religious, you know, you could be self-hating and you know, it's it's not necessarily hypocritical. It could actually be what they believe. But I don't know. I just think we're better than that. Again, because it, it yeah, it blurs the line between private and public. Like, why do I need to know if Jason Kenny or anyone else, why do I need to know if, if they're not comfortable telling me? I don't know that I need to know. I'd much rather support young people that are committing suicide in Canada because they don't have supports. Disproportionately so in Indigenous communities, two-spirit youth are amongst the highest rates of suicide in, in this country. So I'd much rather support that cause than try to nuance the conversation around how we support these politicians in their journey to to live freely in this world. Maybe the solution is that Jason Kenney needs to go to a, a GSA meeting and then he can work out all these feelings and actually see how innocuous they really are. It's not something their parents need to know about. That's our show for this week. I'm Ashley Chinati. You can follow me on Twitter at Ashley Chinati. That's Ashley with an L-E-Y. My last name's a little weird. C-S-A-N-A-D-Y. And you can find me on Twitter at D-Rodrique. That's D-E-E-R-O-D-E-R-I-Q-U-E. And I'm Ryan McMahon. Follow me on Twitter at RM Comedy. Check out our website at canadalandshow.com slash commons. And you can email us at commons at canadalandshow.com. Our Patreon page is patreon.com slash canadaland. The producer of Commons is Russell Gregg. And our music is produced by Nathan Burley. Thanks again to Commons' exclusive sponsor, Wealth Simple. Get your first $10,000 managed for free for two years at wealthsimple.com slash commons. If you like what we do, please support us. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. 
Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.